Welcome to the Comic Shenanigans Podcast. This is episode 374. I'm your host, Adam Chapman, and this is our conversation with Dan Abnett. Uh, this is a really fun episode to put together. I was able to chat with uh, with Dan back in April uh, and chat about his career in comics, specifically North American comics. We talked about his uh, current work on Hercules, on Aquaman, talked about his work on Marvel's cosmic books, including Nova, Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, also talked about Force Works, so there's a lot of good stuff in this episode. I did want to thank um, some uh, listeners from the Marvel Masterworks Forum for submitting questions. Um, in, in particular, I want to give shout-outs to Boggins, Strider Tag, Shagmu, Shotzi, um, INTP, Bane Wilson, uh, Century 459, and Green Meerkat. Thank you so much for submitting questions. I think we were able to um, incorporate elements of your questions, if not wholesale grab them, uh, for the episode. So thank you very much for inputting them. Uh, for upcoming uh, interviews, uh, generally, if you go to the Marvel Masterworks forum, I do put up uh, for, uh, posts uh, asking for ideas for questions for upcoming interview subjects. Um, so if you ever want to see what we have coming Coming up, you can check there and put in some questions if you think of something. Uh, so let's jump right in. But before we do, uh, you can email me at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can like the show on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can also listen to us on Stitcher. So thanks again for joining us. And without further ado, let's get right into the conversation with Dan Abnett. Dan, welcome to Comic Shenanigans. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well indeed. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Uh, the first question, um, I don't know why I, I keep saying this to everyone, but um, I've, I've switched things up. I used to go, you know, what was your, your first kind of interaction with comics? But now I'm trying to switch things up and instead, instead ask, what's the, um, the most unusual or something that you didn't expect to have to sign at a convention? Uh, a stick grenade. What? <laughs> <laughs> I think you win. Yeah, well, maybe. I've seen some. I've been asked to sign some strange things. Uh, I often, I always find it find strange when people ask me to sign their Kindles when they brought novels in, and, and they haven't got the paper novel. They bought it digitally, which is lovely. But they, they asked me to sign the case of their Kindles, which I thought was strange. But I'm, you know, happy to do that. Um, and uh, and obviously body parts. That's quite. I, I once had to sign someone someone's arm so they could get it tattooed. Oh. That, was, that was unusual. But a stick grenade. It was at a war, Warhammer, inevitably, but a Warhammer. Games Day, where people are coming dressed as, uh, uh, you know, Imperial Guard infantry and orcs and stuff like that, and somebody had a stick grenade, and they said, "Will you sign my stick grenade?" So I, I did, um, uh, and that's the end of the story. But it's uh, <laughs> the story is stick grenade there. <laughs> actually, that um, so that actually dovetails into a listener question, which was, uh, you know, the, this particular listener had no idea what Warhammer was, but knew that you had written uh, Warhammer books. How did you kind of start writing those? Oh gosh! Uh, the simple version of that is uh, back in the back in the oh, the eighteen sixties when I was young. Uh, <laughs> I was a very keen role playing gamer. Uh, played Traveller, Dungeons and Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, etc., etc., etc. Enthusiastically, in fact, I think a lot of my storytelling comes from being a, a referee inventing things on the spot when I was a role playing gamer. Um, uh, and uh, in the UK, the the uh, a lot of these games, Dungeons and Dragons, for instance, <coughs> was, were, were licensed and published by Games Workshop, uh, uh, who published a sort of a magazine called uh, White Dwarf, which was sort of ecumenically covered everything in the gaming world. And I grew up reading that. I loved that magazine. <coughs> and uh, later on, Games Workshop became so big and successful, they launched 
Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000, they're their core games. And White Dwarf became very much about those things. Uh, and, and they happened a little bit too late for me as a, a player. By that stage, I was at college and didn't play role-playing games as much. But I was certainly in touch with and knew the sort of house style, the sort of grim darkness of the far future that they, they were exploiting. It's very, I think it's very peculiarly British, although it's translated across the world. So in the 90s, when I was already a comic book writer, uh, I was approached by Games Workshop uh, to see if I'd be interested in writing comic strips for them, for their, their, their they were going to launch a comic based on their universes. And I went down to see them, and I, um, because of my background in role-playing games, I, knew, I sort of got the atmosphere and flavour that they wanted very quickly. Uh, they, talk, talk to, they talked to several writers and artists about it, and some of them got it. Some of them need to be trained to get it. Some of them just didn't get it at all, but I've got it. So I wrote comic strips, and then they said, do you want to write short stories? And I said, yes, of course. And I, and I had always wanted to write novels as well. Um, wanted an excuse to find a slot in my working day where I could write novels rather than writing them on spec. And they commissioned novels, and that was the mid-'90s. And I think, I think at the current, it's something like 40 novels I've written for them. Wow. Um, and many comic strips and many short stories but 40 novels several of which have been turned into games in fact one of my <clears throat> novel series has just been turned into a, a computer game it's about to be launched and uh, seven of them have been New York Times bestsellers <coughs> it's a huge part of what I do and I, I'm delighted to do it oh my phone's ringing that's really unprofessional for goodness sake that's probably Games Workshop telling me that I should stop talking about all their secrets and everything uh, one second I will try and find a button that will kill that no, that's not the button either. Well, <laughs> that's a great thing to happen in a recorded interview. Do you want me to go back and start again, or should we make that part of the amusement oh, that happens in the middle of this interview? That is absolutely part of the amusement. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Games Workshop. Yeah, so it's a very important big part of what I do. And for years I've gone to Games Workshop. Uh, they have their own conventions and stuff, and um, brilliant occasions, many people in costume. Uh, and it's a world that I'm very, very much sort of part of. So... Um, one of the things I've always done in my career is, 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 is literally in the course of a working day is move from one thing to another. So I might be working on something Marvel or DC superheroes for the morning and then switch to Warhammer or then switch to Doctor Who or whatever. Um, and I think being busy and having that variety is one of the things that try, I, th- I hope keeps me fresh. Um, but uh, yes, war, that's Warhammer. God, that was a long way from the question in the beginning. Sorry. No, no, that's 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 perfect. I mean, I, I, I myself have never read anything about Warhammer, but now I'm more interested to do so. so. Well, there you go. There you um, go. I can send you a list of recommendations. <laughs> I would actually, I would, I would be interested in that for sure. I'm sure my listeners would too. Uh, well, uh, 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 very quickly, a lot of the, a lot of the Warhammer novels are very accessible. The Horus Heresy series, which is the bit that, that explores their background myth, which not, is not only written by me, it's written by several of their writers, is is a great, great sort of epic, sort of gothic science fiction adventure. Uh, and from my own work, there is a there is a trilogy called the Eisenhorn trilogy, which is published as an omnibus, but as indivi- also as individual books. That's the one that's just been turned into a game. And a lot of people have cited over the years as that's a great place to start because it, it gives you a real taste of uh, um, the universe and what the universe is about. So off the top of my head, those would be the things. Okay. Well, let's let's talk comics for a second. So, Well, sure. not for a second, for the rest of the interview, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> a little longer than the second. Um, if we go back to the beginning, what was your first kind of interaction with comics when you were younger? Um, I, back, I at, back in the 1860s, right? Yeah, back in the 
yeah, during the Punic War or where it was. Uh, the um, I read a lot of, uh, not a lot actually. I read British comics, British newsstand comics, uh, the names of which you won't be familiar with, but but. Uh, 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 there was limited access to what we would call American comics when I was growing up in the UK, um, and I was—I guess I was about nine or ten years old—and I changed school, and I was very keen on drawing. And there was another kid in my class who was very good at drawing, and he drew these amazing, amazingly dynamic images. And I, and I, I sort of wanted to know what inspired him to do this. And he was reading Marvel comics, and I'd never come across that before. Um, and uh, and he actually gave me a batch of. Uh, his overspill comics that he, he sort of you know he didn't have enough room in his storage cupboard and he just gave me this batch of comics which were all British Marvel reprints which were done weekly black and white anthologizing American comics you get four pages of the Avengers and four pages of the Hulk and it was very weird um, but it was it was amazing and I, and I immediately started to write and draw my own comics because it combined the two things I as a kid I like doing most which is writing stories and drawing pictures and wrote and drew my own comics for years and years and years and years and as, as accessibility increased, I began to buy American comics in imports through newsagents and eventually through comic shops, discovered Forbidden Planet and stuff like that. And um, just became an incredibly enthusiastic reader. Also, 2008, the, the, the bastion of British comics, which is still running, I still contribute to on a very regular basis. But as, I read it as a kid, uh, and it's a brilliant place. That's where Judge Dredd and everything comes from. And, um, so that, those were my enthusiastic first forays into, into comics, which very much influenced my imagination and and sort of occupied my hobby time as well as so sort of i guess essentially reproducing those things in my own way as, as best i could when did you actually start making the leap to you know doing it professionally uh that was after university i went to university uh i wanted to i don't know i wanted to write but i didn't know whether i could make a career out of that i, I thought i would teach my parents were both teachers and i thought that was something i'd, I'd very much like to do um and I edited uh, college magazines whilst I was there at university uh, and did cartoons and stuff in it. And somebody one day, knowing my enthusiasm for comics, said to me, you should get a job in comics. And I said, gosh, is that something you can actually do? Not, you know, presuming, you know, assuming, I guess, that these things were produced magically by fairy dust. <laughs> uh, not that there was an industry out there just, you know, ready and waiting. And I wrote to Marvel UK, uh, based in London, really to see what possibilities for employment there were. Uh, and didn't know that at the time they were advertising for uh, editorial trainees. Uh, so I got a letter saying, please come in and chat to us. Uh, and went along thinking, this will be fun, not realising that essentially they thought I was applying for the job. And I, I walked into a room, an interview with 30 other candidates for this job, um, uh, which I got. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, uh, there was a kind of knife fight and I did kill several of the other candidates. So... So I kind of narrowed the playing field a little bit. And I got this job, and I started there in, in uh, uh, as an editorial trainee. The bit about killing people was a joke, by the way. Um, the, the, <laughs> I started there as an editorial trainee, and it was Marvel. We were, we, this was a long time ago, and it was also Marvel was not cutting edge in, in, in the UK in terms of its... Uh, uh, working practices so we didn't it wasn't desktop publishing everything was was old school typesetting paste up uh, photographic mechanical transfer all that. I learned all of those things lettering still done hand lettered I worked in the colour separation department I did everything my boss early on was Richard Starkings who went on to oh, found wow. comic craft and you know he's a wonderful person and he was sort of my mentor and I was his assistant on, on such luminous titles as, as Ghostbusters and um, Thundercats and stuff. And I, I just worked on these weekly comics for the British newsstand. And uh, they encouraged us to 
write some stories for things just in house. Well, sort of freelance, but, but but as a member of staff, because they thought that editorial trainees couldn't properly edit people unless they had had some understanding of how a story works themselves. So I wrote things like Action Force, which is what we call GI Joe, Transformers, Thundercats, Ghost, a lot of Ghostbusters. For about three years, I was Egon Spengler, and I wrote his column in the in the comic. And I um, uh, Care Bears and Thomas the Tank Engine and Mister Men and goodness only knows what, whatever else was going, and sort of learnt my craft there, which I, I think was uh, I think was an incredibly useful experience because working on not only licensed comics, which of course is what Marvel and DC is really, but, but working on licenses that offer junior readers and for, are incredibly tightly controlled with style bibles and everything needs to be approved, taught me to sort of write within a target area, write within the box and not break the toys, which is, although it's not something I do with every job I do, it is incredibly useful talent to have to, in, in terms of, 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 of working out what is needed and then trying to deliver that to the best of your ability. And, and during my time there, I sort of graduated to... Marvel UK started to publish things like Knights of Pendragon and Death Set, which I, I wrote. And uh, eventually from there, cutting a very long story short, I, I sort of went freelance. I realised that I liked the writing part more than the editing part and, uh, and sort of cut myself adrift and have been writing ever since. Now, what, when was the formation of uh, your partnership with Andy Lamming? Uh, that was about that time. Andy was a freelancer at... Uh, um, uh, Marvel. He was, in fact, he was drawing Ghostbusters when I was editing it, and we everybody would go down the pub at the end of the week and, and sit around and have those conversations. And Andy and I discovered we had very similar tastes in comics. We'd grown up reading the same comics. We were enthusiastic about the same things, and we brainstormed. I mean, not for any purpose, but we'd sit in the pub and over a pint talk about what stories we'd love to do with what characters, <clears throat> and um, and they sort of suddenly became prospects for things we would actually do. Um, we, we always, when we were working together, we, we don't anymore, we haven't for several years now, but, but when we were working together, which was over a long period, um, uh, we split the credit uh, simply because it was the easiest way of representing the, the, the two of us working on something. But actually, Andy is not a writer, I'm sure he'd tell you that himself. He's, he's an inca, he's an artist, he's been great with ideas. All the writing was done by me. Um, uh, all the scripting, everything like that. So, so there was a, a, a slightly unequal balance in, in what we did, um, but we, you know, to the rest of the world, we, we, there was no point trying to explain that on a cover credit or whatever. It, we were just the two of us were doing it, and we would get together on a regular basis and, and, and brainstorm ideas, and it, and it grew out of, of, a, of a sort of a down the pub friendship when when I was an editor and and, uh, and right at the start of my career. Now, I, I don't really want to probe too much into you know wh- why that partnership may or may not be happening right now, um, but there are a lot of people who asked, you know, w- is there a potential of seeing you guys collaborate again on anything, or is just I, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think that's the case. It, 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 it sort of la- the, the, the partnership lasted for a very, very long time, um, possibly too long, actually. Um, that 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 kind of internal imbalance that was not visible to the outside world about who did what and, and what the work share was did become after a while quite laborious there came a, I think there came a point really where I felt why am I why am I splitting the credit with somebody when I'm doing such a great deal of the work and in fact although you know Andy did contribute hugely in, in many respects um, after a while it was it was 
what contribution he could bring in terms of ideas was something I wanted to bring anyway. Um, and we tried to work, instead of just dissolving the partnership then and there, we did try and make it work better. We tried to balance the workload even more evenly and this kind of stuff. And it simply wasn't wasn't going anywhere. And unfortunately, it sort of ground to a halt at that point, although we had tried to preserve it. And I have to say, I wouldn't now go back to it because I, uh, I value that experience very much. Like I said, I think it went on for too long. And I just... I feel much more creatively able now writing on my own. It was very refreshing when, when, when the partnership dissolved and I sort of, for the first time in years, went and knocked on all the doors of the editors that I've ever worked with and just said, just so you know, if, if you want me to work for you, it's just me now. Um, if you want Andy, you can go and get him and it'll just be just him. And um, and they all said, yes, we want to work with you. And I got loads of lovely work. And, and I, I, I'm very proud of the things I've sort of done Solo or, or or since really, I think I think that, that I've, I've got a greater creative control of what I do, and I think I'm producing better work. I mean, there are some things that from our partnership that I look back on very fondly and I'm very proud of, but I think that on the whole, the work I produce since is is better. And obviously, there are some big things in it, like Legion of Superheroes and Guardians of the Galaxy, which which is I think like what prompts questions like the ones your readers have sent you. Um, but it, but 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 those are you know those those were things that we we made work <coughs> and and obviously hit some kind of spark and zeitgeist and that was great. So I'm not in any way dissing Andy. I'm not in any way dissing the partnership, apart from the fact that I think it went on for too long. But but uh, but I am much happier now working together again. And I don't think I could I would want to constrain myself again to to to, to sort of force that to happen. And I don't think necessarily the readers would get something different or better than they would get from me now anyway. Hmm. It almost sounds like a marriage that kind of met its natural end. I think you're right. I think you're right. And 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 I, I can't pretend that I was, there weren't times when I wasn't slightly aggrieved <clears throat> by the fact that the, 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 you know, we were both getting credit for stuff that I knew I'd done so much more to than, than Andy had. Uh, so there were, there were sort of resentments, I guess, that grew over time. Um, but yes, I, I think it had run its natural course during the course of it, we produced, I think, some very good work that people still come up and, and talk about enthusiastically. Um, and in some respects, just referring back to the Warhammer stuff and the other novels I've written and the, and the work I did for 2000 AD, which I've always done on my own, it was only American comics that, that we worked on in partnership. And I think if I hadn't been doing those other projects myself and having great success with the novels and stuff like that, that the partnership would have ended much sooner because I'd have noticed much more. Mm. That, it, that, that it wasn't working. I think one of the reasons it did last as long as it did was because I had my own outlets doing stuff for 2000 AD, for Warhammer, for, for original novels and stuff like that. So, yeah, I agree with your appraisal. <laughs> when um, when you started doing more work for actually like Marvel, not just Marvel UK, but actually working for Marvel in the States, um, what was it like to kind of make that that jump, that process? It was fine. I mean, I think I was a little bit intimidated because it was Marvel. Of course, I, since my youngest years, I uh, worshipped. And to actually, I mean, I worked on staff at Marvel UK, but that's not the same thing. And to work for Marvel and to work for America, uh, I'd never, when I started working for Marvel, I'd never been to America. And, you know, it was, you know, everything was by phone. There was no, there was no email. There was no, there was no internet. Scripts were faxed or FedExed. Um, I remember staying up late at night feeding page after page after page into a fax that was sending this really slowly to New York and, and in the morning there'd be about four and a half miles of toilet paper on my floor where the fax, the fax had come back with all the, 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 the notes that I needed to, to work on um, and you know sort of 
for Mario to hear frequent conversations than is, is because phone calls seem to be such a precious commodity. Um, so, so the changes that I've seen happen in the last fifteen years or so, where you know I can finish a script as I did today. I finished an issue for DC today, and I just you know press send and and it's gone, and I'll get feedback tomorrow. And you know those sort of things you take for granted now. The, the collaborative efforts to, to get on Skype to have a conversation with people. To, we do that with um, with Warhammer quite a lot. The authors will get together in a in a Skype conference to brainstorm those things. That the idea that that we are we are sort of creatively much freer to collaborate, to, to talk to people, to get feedback, to send things in. Um, it was a very, very different world. Um, similar to the, the Marvel UK world I started working in where everything was, you know, glue and scissors and paper. It's, uh, God, I'm making myself sound even older than I managed to joke that I was when at the beginning of this conversation. Um, <laughs> but it was great. And, uh, so Marvel, Marvel was the first people I, I mean, I've worked for most of the American companies now. Marvel was the first one, DC shortly after that. Um, and it was... Uh, it was an amazingly exciting thing to do. I, it really was. I felt I felt terribly lucky. In the UK, there was, a, and it's not a, a completely set pattern, but in the UK, writers and artists coming up in the UK tend to work for companies like Marvel UK and um, some of the other companies doing junior licensed stuff. And then they tended to work for 2000 AD um, as a way of sort of proving themselves. And then usually, you, back in the 80s and 90s, you used to graduate across, usually to DC, specifically Vertigo, uh, and, and, you know, break in America in that way. And I, I, I am, if not the only person, but certainly rare in as much as I went up through Marvel UK, worked for Marvel US, and then DC, and then went backwards, and well, not backwards in, in any kind of qualitative sense, but then, then went and worked for 2000 AD because I wanted to, because I love the comic, and I've, I've carried on working for it ever since because I love the comic. So I, I unusually followed a very, very different entry route to other British creators into, into the American market. Hmm. When, when you... Um, I'm trying to think of how to pose this. Um, so, <laughs> so you wrote... This is interesting to me that you wrote the last issue of Avengers West Coast... And, yes. then, and then you relaunched it as, as Forceworks. So I guess when you ended that book, you knew that Forceworks was going to happen? Or like, how did that come about? That you oh, guys- yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, uh, we were asked to, to, to actually launch the new book, uh, which went through many series. I have to say, I, I'm so used to it being called Forceworks that I, I often forget that I regret that it was called Forceworks. We had better names for it. Um, it was, I think, at one point, it was called Hero Works, which, which I think was 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 a, a less aggressive title, and it was meant to be a reference to Stark's sort of West Coast test proving ground facility, where he he built and tested things that we we thought would be a great location for 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 the setup to be. Uh, and, and Marvel Marvel eventually decided that it was going to be called Force Works, and we weren't going to argue with it. So we went, okay, fair enough. But having having been asked to do this, we were then asked to finish West Coast Avengers because it was going to be the replacement. So so it wasn't the case of we wrote the last issue and um, uh, then we'll give it a different book. We, we, would, we were given the opportunity to end stop West Coast Avengers in order to form a launching pad for what we were doing. Now, what was it like kind of coming in just to close up shop and knowing that you're opening up another shop? Because that's a, kind of an interesting uh, position to be in that not a lot of writers would get to do. Um yeah, it was it was interesting. I think I think in this, particularly in this day and age, when things are cancelled in a much more wholesale fashion, that when a new team is put on something, they very seldom get to finish off a run of something. They much more usually just given a blank slate and told to reinvent it. And I think that was a, 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 a recognition of Marvel's 
sense of an organic, ongoing continuity at the time. They didn't want to just cancel West Coast. They wanted to make sure it was, you know, had a bow tied on it and it was it was used. And it, that was that was really interesting. And I, I sort of I wish I wish I'd been able to work on more issues of West Coast Avengers. I wish I wish it was been more than just that one because uh, it, it was it was a it was a really great book and it was it was it was sort of had a very very successful run um, and and. and I, I suppose, I suppose, in a way, I could be slightly more um, objective about it because although I love the book, I hadn't been writing it for a long time, so I could walk, walk in and sort of, you know, close the shutters and empty the till and take out the light bulbs and put things in a box with a bring a by sale and everything like that without feeling a terrible pang of loss that I'd been writing it up to that point. I think it'd be harder for the incumbent writers to, to do that, but. Um, uh, yeah, it was an interesting, an interesting thing, and I'm glad, I'm glad of the chance to do it. I think I wish things like that happened more often, really. Mm-hmm. Um, we're, now, I'm kind of jumping forward a little bit, but were there any plans to continue Forceworks after the crossing had ended, or was it always kind of going to happen that they were going to end it earlier? Uh, no, I, I'm trying to rack my brains and think back. Uh, it, it feels such a long time ago. Interestingly, I've only just discovered that, that Forceworks is about to be produced in a trade paperback edition after all these years. I have no idea what it's going to look like. Yeah, uh, it's coming out May 17th. Actually, this episode will be coming out on, on May 20th. So three days before this episode comes out, the, uh, this new collection will be available. It'll be there, yes. I'm sure it's dated horribly. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I'm impressed they're doing it, though. But yeah, no, I am. I'm, I'm, I'm impressed they're doing it as well. I think it's uh, it's lovely. I, it's, every now and then they, they bring out some part of the back catalogue. I remember when they did the Punisher Year One, which is a story I was really pleased to have worked on, uh, but I was delighted to see it finally in trade trade form. I think uh, I wish they'd do some of the my other earlier Punisher stuff in that form. But yes, tra- Forceworks, I, I think the, uh, with, with every, every title, it was a case of we, they would keep it going for as long as it was commercially viable, and it had not become commercially viable. Um, I think... Um, I think it was there was sort of element of house cleaning and stuff like that. So, so if it had been a soaring success, it would have carried on. But, but, but again, one of the things that Marvel was careful to do back then, less so now, is to uh, is to allow for closure rather than saying right, we're cancelling it with the next issue. They would say right, you've got another four issues to tie this up so it's concluded. Uh, and again, I think that's something that, that, that comic readers really appreciate is the idea that if a book's not going to last forever, then at least it will be brought to a uh, a dignified conclusion. How did you choose the characters that uh, were ended up being in Forceworks? Were you kind of given a list of characters to choose from, or was it kind of set before you even took over the the book? Uh, I'm trying to remember. Actually, I th- I think we picked them from a l- slightly longer list of predominantly West Coast Avengers characters, um, uh, and and certainly um, Iron Man and Scarlet Witch were were hugely favorite picks of ours because because we love those characters uh and we obviously wanted to make sure that we had room for a brand new character in it as well um but um uh yes i don't know whether the others were, i don't remember the others being forced on us in any way <laughs> it was it was a case of i think just 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 selecting a the most interesting the most compelling characters from the range available at the point and also the ones that will perhaps make the most interesting team dynamic how did you decide to kill off Wonder Man so quickly? Uh, I think that was that was that was very deliberate. Uh, I like Wonder Man as a character. Uh, it occurred to me that although all superheroes come back from the dead, that Wonder Man could come back from the dead much more easily than others. Um, and I, I felt that, 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 that to open with a story where 
you think you know who the lineup is going to be, and one of them dies. <laughs> it's, it was a deliberately, a deliberately provocative storytelling act to try and make people go, "Oh my God, sit up and take notice of uh, of the book." I, I, I don't know how successful that was, but it was um, uh, it was it was planned from the outset that he wouldn't be a member of the team, but that he would be apparently a member of the team right at the beginning. How did you create the character of Century? Um. From, from a very early point we wanted it to be uh, an alien character who would bring a different sensibility to the group and therefore be, be particularly mysterious as an outsider I wanted a very cool look for him which Tom Tenney produced uh, I, one of the few characters I've created that's, that's become an action figure which I still have an action figure of somewhere um, and uh, also to bring him with him storytelling baggage so that, so that, that not immediately but fairly soon his own personal story would become something they had to deal with, um, and I, I, you know, it seemed to work very well. It seemed to, I, you know, his curious way of speaking and that kind of stuff. They were sort of spontaneous. I think, I think that was, I think nowadays when I think of the create stuff, I mean, I, 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 I like to think that I know when I've got a good idea, but I will often spend quite a long time with a notepad brainstorming stuff and assigning you know, team lineups and working out what the best mix is and how I should get a character to talk and what the storytelling is going to be. And I think back then, you know, sort of with that sort of recklessness of youth, I just would go, no, that's a great idea and go for it. So that sort of, he, he sort of probably came to, came, came to, he sort of rounded up um, as a rounded character. I mean, it, pretty much on the paper as I was going along and I'm thinking, oh, that would work. That would, that would work really well. Um, I don't know. There, I don't think there was a great deal of, of, uh, craft in it. it was more sort of spontaneous inspiration and running with that it's interesting because you know the character has not made a lot of appearances but he was in the iron man animated series like that's how i knew him growing up like yeah and it's just interesting that as you said he got his action figure and then he just kind of got shuttered away and we, he's made two appearances in the last 20 years i think yeah yeah he's uh, yes uh, sometimes uh, it's, it's weird there have been occasions particularly working on the cosmic books in the in the in the noughties uh, leading up to Guardians of the Galaxy, there were many occasions where I thought we could put Century in this because he's an ideal character to appear. Uh, and I guess my reluctance was that he was a character that that I had created, Andy and I had worked on. Um, that uh, it felt vain for us to bring him back. I kind of wanted someone else to bring him back to sort of give him the. The, the, the credibility that he was a viable Marvel character in the Marvel Universe that anybody could write, which is the whole point of creating characters for Marvel. Um, so, so there were several occasions where I nearly did and, and, and hesitated and, and didn't. Um, so maybe I should have done. What was it like working on uh, the Hands of the Mandarin storyline uh, relatively early on in the, in the title? Um, uh, it was fun. That, that, that uh, required the... Um, I think my first attendance of a Marvel summit where writers got together um, and, and, and brainstormed, and that was that was a great experience. Um, all all crossovers uh, are comparatively difficult to negotiate, uh, be, just because of the logistics. Uh, and that gave me a very good insight into what sort of things you needed to do and what sort of things you should really avoid trying to do uh, when you worked on things. As I say, I can't I can't speak to the quality of the story since I read it I just remember the, I remember the summit I remember the, the, the brainstorming um, a listener question was uh, what's the deal with Moonraker Moonraker I think 
was one of the storylines that we obviously never got to finish and had had some some very cool ideas, which I'm failing to remember now. But uh, there, there were there were uh, we had a that would have been the big storyline that we would have gone into next if we if we if the book had, had stayed alive. Um, I don't think enough enough. Uh, building work was done to really give any indication of where it would go and uh, I've probably got an outline of the story somewhere in one of my filed away notebooks but but it's not in my head at the moment unfortunately I'm sorry about that um, was uh, was it hard to have that book end because um, it was something that you had launched you know with Andy and and then you know it reached its conclusion and it was cancelled I suppose so yes I, I I think it always is. Whenever, whenever you get a book cancelled for whatever reason, um, whether you've started it or whether you've just been working on it, um, it, it you always it, it's it's always sad. It's just sad. You, it, it's it's not just a case of oh I've lost some work. It's a case of well I was really engaged with that and 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 and, and it's not I'm not going to be doing it anymore and I'm not going to be doing it. Um, uh, presumably, because not enough people were reading it, because not enough people liked it. That's always that's always a sad thing, and I, I sort of I sort of miss certain characters. Sometimes it, it seems like a relief. Uh, I remember being incredibly sad when Resurrection Man was was cancelled, um, and then others. I think I think by the time that we, I, I've seen out about five years worth of work on Legion of Superheroes, I was sort of ready to leave, and DC gave us the opportunity to to write a final story to close off our. Uh, run mainly because we, we, we it was going to be a, a case of changing teams rather than just literally cancelling our book, um, um, and I was sort of ready to and, and sort of thought I would never go back to that. Although the idea of writing Legion again sort of appeals to me much more with the distance of time than it did did immediately afterwards. But it's always sad, and I think I think Forceworks was it's quite useful to to do that if you're going to make a career in this profession. You need to get used to uh, bad reviews. You need to get used to curious fan questions and you need to get used to books ending because that's the that's the that's the circle of life in the comic world mm-hmm. um were there have you ever considered trying to bring force works back or do you think it's time has passed um i oh goodness i don't think i would i think i i think if marvel said would you do that i think i'd probably consider doing it i i have no particular urge to do it personally but i think it's one of those things. I quite like being offered a, a challenge, or like I said, or a target. When you know, sort of, it's very nice to be given creative freedom. What do you want to write, or you know, come up with an original idea? But I also, possibly, rarely amongst freelancers, am very, very uh, enthusiastic when an editor rings up and says, "Can you take this character and this character and do a story about this?" And that incredibly tight target area, I think, brings out. I try and tell the best story I can in the space space available, and sometimes I think that that brings out the best stories. So if it was set to me as a kind of task or challenge, I think I would rise to it with great enthusiasm. I think some of the core ideas, which probably got lost along the way, of of a sort of as it was then modern superhero team being sort of much more sort of proactive and 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 professional about what they were doing, rather than just heroes who gathered together and then had adventures, was quite a good one. But I think it could probably be deployed. In a in a much more uh, relevant way these days. Uh, so maybe if I ever brought Forceworks back under whatever circumstance, it would it would play up on those aspects. What was and now moving to I guess the the other crossover that uh, impacted uh, Forceworks. What was it like working on the crossing? I mean, it's uh, some people like it, some people hate it. It's definitely yes. a, it's a polarizing storyline. But what was it like working kind of behind the scenes on that book? That 
was that was enormously good fun, and we, we were aware that we were we were working to, to achieve something very specific in terms of the way the Marvel Universe needed to be reordered, or whether the editorial senior editorial thought the Marvel Universe needed to be reordered, and therefore um, we sort of we had we had guidelines that we couldn't break. So I think there are some aspects of the story that I probably would have done differently if we'd been free to do it differently. We weren't. And I have to say, I think one of the things, one of the things that people, if they're going to hate that story, the thing they hate about is, is, is young Tony Stark and, and, and all of that. And, uh, and that essentially was my fault, actually. <laughs> I will put my hands up to it. The, the most contentious part of it was an idea that I threw onto the table at the summit. And everybody went, oh, that's interesting. And, and then we ran with it. Um, so, so if you loved The Crossing, then thank you very much. Uh, I was trying very hard to tell a good story. If you hated it, I'm sorry. I, I apologise profusely. Um, what? How did you create Resurrection Man? Um, I mean, first of all, it's DC, right? So you, you jumped, DC, jumped yes. across the street. We jumped across the street uh, and, and were invited to... Uh, We've done a few bits and pieces for DC, I think sort of filler issues, and then we were invited to create something. And um, it was an idea that had been in a very loose form, kicking around for a while, the idea of a guy who, when he died, he, he would come back to life and he'd have a different superpower each time. And we thought it would be a much more sort of real-world, low-key story. And in fact, originally, it was going to be a Vertigo book. Hmm. And uh, com- uh, comparatively speaking, the last minute, DC changed its mind and said, no, we want to put it in the DCU proper as a mainstream book because we think it will be an interesting, much more interesting contrast there. Um, but the so I, I, I have no idea where the idea originally came from. A, a conversation in the pub, probably, and uh, and it seemed to fit the remit of what DC wanted. We're um, I, now you've already kind of alluded to you know it's, it was hard when that ended. Um, why do you think it ended? Uh, I think it did it did surprisingly well. I mean, I think that was that was at the point at which sales overall, generally speaking, were beginning the downturn that they are now, and books just didn't have the same life in them and longevity. It, it's uh, the original run of I think it ran for twenty eight issues, the original one, which is a fair crack. Um, uh, and I think I was probably very disappointed in that because it was really was a personal idea. I mean, Forceworks was you know cherry-picking other characters from that have already existed, whereas Resurrection Man was a completely new idea. Um, it, it simply died away. When it, came, when, when it came back again as one of the New 52 books, um, its fate was much more sealed early on, I think. Um, uh, Eddie Baganza, who'd been the editor on the, on the original one, asked, asked us to, 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 to restart Resurrection Man, ironically, given that he's Resurrection Man. And uh, again... I thought we believed that it would be a launch. It would come out, you know, alongside whatever the, that month's offerings would be, and 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 it, the, the, its, it's smaller scale, quieter nature would would have some chance of thriving. And then we were told that it was going to be part of the new Fifty Two. It, it was up against fifty one other books, including the biggest names in the DC roster. And I went, it's just, it's not going to survive. It's simply not going to survive. And the fact that we got as many issues out of it as we did surprised me. I have to say, and. Although I think the story is pretty strong, we had great art, and, 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 and we, from a very early stage, we were being steered in the direction of making it much more superhero than A, we had intended, and B, the original had been. Um, and there was quite a lot of sort of 
stuff that happened that, 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 again, I wish we had been able to do it a different way. But it, it's not a terrible run by any stretch of the imagination. I, I think I think the, the cracks and disappointments are much more obvious to me as writer than they would be to an audience. But, uh, yeah, the, 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 the second run, I had that feeling of unease right from sort of day one when it came out, thinking, this, you know, I'm up against Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and this isn't going to stand a chance. Um, moving to the Legion, we had a, a listener question, which was, uh, how are you and Andy intending to end the plot line about Ultra Boy and Apparition's son, Cubs' accelerated growth? That was the yeah, <laughs> that was the one story we didn't get to tell that we had plotted out. And again, I can't remember the specific details, but it was a, uh, I think it was going to be, it was going to be a, a quite a sad. Uh, melancholy story about loss and growing up and, 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 and the idea that the, the, the Legion, although they are not kids, that they are a, a young team and that one of them would sort of, this, this child would sort of accelerate past them and would sort of uh, sort of live his life very, very quickly. Um, and and there, were, there were big ideas there. It, 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 it probably would have not been the best story to go out on because it would have been very, very downbeat. Um, but it would also, I think, have been quite celebratory of the Legion universe and and the you know sort of post-human possibilities and that kind of stuff. But uh, but but no, we didn't, and we ended it on a on a much more sort of adventurous story uh, that I think was suitable a suitable finale for our time on the title. Where did the original uh, inspiration come for for doing Legion Lost? It was definitely like going in a different direction and, and doing something, you know, different with the characters. But where did that kind of come from? Um, that was again in response to an editorial request that the, the Legion, which had been running for such a long time, and and, and you know, I I, I, I love the Legion, uh, particularly periods of the Legion specifically, and uh, it had a very, very, very loyal, incredibly loyal fan base. I've never met a fan base as loyal as Legion fans, um, and. Uh, I think I was originally asked to do a just a story arc, which was Legion of the Damned. Um, and in, in working on that, the idea arose to the editor that, that maybe to get Legion <clears throat> back into the forefront and and, 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 and and fight its ailing status as a, a book that simply hadn't changed very much. Um, and that's no criticism of what was going on. I, th- I just think it, it sort of <clears throat> its style had. Had, uh, was becoming old-fashioned in, turn, in, in, in comparison to other books, and the editor then, then asked Legion of the Damned to, to be the sort of springboard for a, a, a relaunch and a repackaging. And uh, and although I love the Legion, I, I, there was an awful, there was a steep learning curve there. As I said, growing up, I'd read Marvel, not DC, because DC hadn't been available to me in the UK. So every DC project I took on, I was back reading faster and furiously to try and understand the, the heritage and the legacy of characters um, and one of the things that occurred to me was that, that the Legion, one of its great appeals is that it's so huge, it's got such a vast cast, but if you're starting again and you need to bring new readers in who are, are equally unfamiliar that was a rather overwhelming prospect so the idea of taking a core group of them uh, characters that were interesting and, 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 and bounced off each other in interesting ways and literally separating them, uh, casting them adrift, and and, and 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 following them for a year's worth of comic uh, was a great way of, of 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 consolidating a sort of core to the book that maybe at that point we could then expand upon and and bring more of the other characters in. 
So it was really was a was a an effort to streamline the Legion of Superheroes without restarting it or revamping it completely uh, to, to, to sort of just just sort of ring fence large elements of it and focus on something to, to try and concentrate the, the reader's attention and engagement um, in, in the hope that we could build it up from there and, and of course that sort of that sort of did work because out of that came Legion Worlds and then the new Legion book where incrementally we were able to bring in uh, more of the other characters show what had been happening back home sort of establish the universe more and, and sort of um, reintroduce everything so it, it, it did perform that function I think quite successfully which Legion character was the, did you find the most enjoyable to write for oh I think one of the, again one of the nice things about the Legion is they're all pretty interesting uh, I, I, I was inevitably drawn to the sort of the, 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 the core characters of uh, Saturn Girl and, 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 uh, and Cosmic Boy and everything uh, Apparition was a favourite of mine um, but it, funnily enough they um, and spoiler alert, but Monstress, who does not make it to the end of Legion Lost, was considered by many to be a kind of new inclusion in in the Legion, and not you know not to be as valid or as interesting as the other characters. And and I put her in Legion Lost simply because I thought it was an opportunity to sort of, as it were, make or break her to, to sort of show people that she was a really cool character. Um, and as the story progressed, and it became apparent that that, that a character was going to have to die towards the end of the story. Uh, I we settled on monstrous, but it was enormously sad. It, it sort of <clears throat> you got to the point where, where where thinking that she was a disposable character who didn't matter as much as some of the other Legion characters, and realised that having invested so much time and attention on her, that it was much much more emotionally distressing to kill her off <laughs> than than we expected it to be. So um, I get terribly attached to characters, and, and and although I have a reputation, particularly in the novels I write, for being ruthless and. And, and killing off characters left, right, and centre. I, I never do so lightly, and I always suffer a kind of uh, uh, a little sort of backlash, personal backlash <laughs> from doing it. So, uh, so yes, oddly, Monstrous was one of my favourites towards the end. Hmm. Um, in the early two thousands, around the same time we were working on Legion, you did a, a mini series for Marvel Magic. Um, yes. Which I, I feel like is kind of forgotten, unfortunately, because it was actually a pretty good story. Uh, what was it like working on that book, and did you get a lot of positive feedback at the time, or what was you know what was the experience like? Uh, it, it was a fun book. It was one that I was really looking forward to doing when it was first sort of suggested that the, the magic needed a, a, a miniseries, um, and we had Liam Sharp, obviously as artist, who's now on Wonder Woman, and I've known Liam for year. I mean, he was the artist on Death's Head way back in the you know the dim and distant past, so I'd known him for years. Um, the book never quite turned out the way I hoped it would do. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I think some of the some of the things in my head never translated onto the paper, or if they did, they didn't translate into the art. I don't know. So I think it's good, but I don't. I, it's one of those things that sort of um, sort of fell short of my expectations for what it was going to be. I don't think they've ever collected that either. I, th- I think that's that's sitting there dormant somewhere. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's. Um, it was nice to work on. And Liam's Liam's work is always beautiful to look at. Sometimes his uh, back then his storytelling was was vaguer than perhaps we, we would have wanted. Uh, but but his work was always beautiful to look at. It had an enormous atmospheric quality to it. 
Now, in, in the mid-2000s, and this is some, obviously, as you can imagine, one of the more popular things people wanted to know about um, was your involvement in the Marvel Cosmic side of things. Um, yes. Now, w- you did not write the first Annihilation book, but you did write the Annihilation Nova miniseries. Yeah. How did you kind of become part of that cre- you know, kind of creative team? Because there was the four miniseries, and then there was the main book by Keith Giffen. How did you get involved? Uh, well, for a start, I'd always wanted to write Marvel Cosmic because it was absolutely the favorite thing of all the things I'd read when I was a kid. So that all of those characters, um, Star-Lord and, and all the other characters that ended up cropping up in, 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 in where it went, uh, were characters that appealed to me immensely. And um, the editor, we were invited by the editor to, to, to write one of the miniseries for that. I think we talked to him uh, a, a year or two earlier about the possibility of doing either Rom or Nova and bringing those characters back, and it hadn't it hadn't hadn't worked. It was just on the back of Legion that hadn't worked. <clears throat> but then he came back and said, "You wanted to do Nova? Here's a chance." And uh, we jumped on that and and uh, produced, I think, a, a pretty solid series, a, a mini series that worked really well. And it was lovely to work. Keith, whose work I admire enormously, was was a, a, a great collaborator. Uh, um, and he'd done Annihilation really, really well. And, and, and Nova just seemed to click. It just seemed to work really, really well, which is why we then got out of that an ongoing series. And once that ongoing series was underway, the editors, the editorial team felt that, that, that we sort of we sort of were steering Marvel Cosmic in a, in a fairly confident way and opened up the possibility for us taking charge of the, the next big Annihilation Conquest, which is the second big event, and from that, doing what we'd done with Nova. So the, the solo book of Nova came out of the first event and that a team book should come out of the second event so that, that there will be a Marvel Cosmic team and a Marvel Cosmic solo book. And that's where Guardians of the Galaxy came from. Um, and and it, was, it was enormous fun and I enjoyed it immensely. And, and uh, a lot of people at Marvel, including, I'm sure you won't mind me saying this, but Joe Casada, just didn't get Cosmic at all. Um, he would repeatedly say, I don't, I don't get Cosmic. I don't know why people like Cosmic, but carry on doing what you're doing because people clearly like it. And um, uh, also, these were these were second or third tier characters that, um, or fourth tier characters in some cases, that people had forgotten about and were sort of just toys lying in the toy box no one was using. So there was immense freedom. If, if I'd been writing Spider-Man or, or Captain America or something, there would have been huge pressure to make sure that I didn't damage that property. But with, with the Guardians characters and with Nova, there was there was less pressure. So the freedom to do stories, unexpected stories with twists and surprises and shocks was, was much greater. And just got on with it and, and told what we told. I wonder if that's one of the reasons that the comic, particularly Guardians, was so well received and, and obviously grew into something even bigger. Just because the, 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 the type of story that could be told was, was, was comparatively speaking, unrestrained. Um, and that was... That was an immensely fun thing to do. Now I got to say, as as a, as a fan, your your version of Richard Ryder is my favorite. Um, Thank you. It's um, and I remember actually when I first met my brother in law, I uh, I was telling it was it was around this time when the Nova book was really strong, and I was like, you got to read this. So I remember I gave him a big stack of Nova books. And he's just like, I've never cared about this character. And now he's one of my favorites, and like <laughs> to this day, he still he says blue blazes all the time, like. Yeah, you, excellent. So, like a huge part of his his fandom, and he, he's bought like Nova statues now from your run. Like, so a huge part of 
his comic fandom has now been influenced by your writing of the character. And I know that some other listeners said the same thing that, you know, your cosmic uh, books, Nova in particular, were just outstanding. Well, thank you very much. That's very nice to hear. I, 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 I loved working on them, and, I, and I'm very proud of the work that was done. Uh, and, and with Nova, I think, I think one of the reasons I like Cosmic, and it may be, again, it could be a British sensibility being filtered through 2000 AD, which is not a superhero comic, is that, is that although superheroes are very appealing, uh, Cosmic superheroes, to me, appeal enormously because the more outlandish aspects of superheroes such as their costumes and alter egos and stuff like that are more easily explained in a science fiction setting where you know Nova isn't a superhero so much as a cop who puts on a uniform and that makes great sense in the science fiction surroundings of what he does um, and that was that was so I, I think that was one of the ways I accessed <coughs> cosmic superheroes for Marvel in a way that made them feel to me much more real oddly and, and the other thing that I, I was aware that Nova had, had never been massively successful and had been although his power set is completely different a sort of an attempt to do another Spider-Man a young kid who gets great powers and responsibilities blah 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 uh, and that therefore he was considered to be a sort of second rate hero and and I didn't want him to be that I wanted Nova book obviously you don't want to write a comic that's about a second rate hero you want to write a comic about the best hero in the world and I, I, one of the ways to do that was obviously to, to in, in those early stories to increase his power set and his capability uh, but was, the other one was to have him as a character actually aware of what people thought of him both in terms of the Marvel Universe but sort of indirectly what the readership thought of him that he always oh, just Nova he's that you know he's that second rate hero and I had to have that sort of slight sort of uh, inferiority complex so that when he returned to Earth around the time of Civil War and he was hugely powered up and very capable and you had characters, first tier characters like Iron Man going, oh my god, what happened to you? You're amazing. Um, it, it allowed the book to actually voice the thing that I think some readers were thinking, feeling about the character. They loved the character but they knew he wasn't, you know, he wasn't Avengers class and suddenly he was and to have that internal recognition of both his inferiority and then his ascendancy uh, really helped people relate to him I think I think that was that was sort of people have talked to me about that since they said that the, the, the very fact that Richard knew he wasn't the greatest and then once he was really a first rank hero had trouble realising that was one of the things that people people responded to particularly strongly no for sure um, in fact I remember the, the first issue of the ongoing series the, the whole you know what's next and seeing the character continuously pushing himself Further, yeah. I, I thought it was just a really str- one of my favorite debut issues. I mean, obviously it was building off of what the character been through in in Giffen's Annihilation, as well as your own miniseries from Annihilation. But it was just such a great kind of way of saying this is who this guy is now. Uh, he's been through war, and ha- this is how you handle war. Yeah, and, yeah, it was, and it was, I guess that's I, that's part of what really attracted me to the character was that you made him you you matured him in a way that made sense and didn't feel artificial it felt natural that if someone went through a war they would be different he's he was a wartime general and how do you how do you come back from that precisely yeah well i'm glad i'm glad you think so that was that was that was kind of the intention it was that was one of those books that i wrote thinking i i kind of felt that it was going to work if you see what i mean it was one of those ones that i it, it just it just felt right going onto the paper so i'm i'm very pleased that it did now, with Guardians of the Galaxy, I mean, now we almost take it for granted because, you know, it has a hugely successful movie. Like, everyone kind of knows those characters. But at the time when you guys kind of put it all together, they weren't well-known at all. 
Uh, and as you said, they were kind of toys that no one was using. How did you come up with which ones to use? Well, uh, Keith had done some work on that because he put them together in the Star Lord Mini, uh, or some of them, some of the ones that been put together there, and uh, and it and it included some uh, Star Lord in particular for characters that I really, really loved. Uh, Warlock was another one, and Gamora, and I wanted to put them together into some kind of format. And so there was a lot of discussion back and forth with the editor about who should be in and who should be out, and which were the interesting ones, and which ones would relate really well. The idea of sort of making Rocket and Groot a pairing rather than just individual characters in a team setting I think was a was a was a very good step to make because they made them a, a kind of double act um, and uh, it sort of all again it all sort of fell into place organically out of the storyline that we've been building up to that point these these characters were sort of ready and waiting for a purpose like Richard was at the end of the first annihilation they needed to graduate into something and and, and to, to, to put them together into a into a into a team seemed uh, seemed like a very wise thing to do and originally it wasn't going to be called the Guardians of the Galaxy I don't think we had a name for it um, but but the, the organic process of the, their naming process that you see in the first few issues where they throw ridiculous names around and eventually decide to essentially steal the name of another superhero team uh, was pretty much what happened um, and it, 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 just seemed, it seemed particularly because the, the real or original Guardians were were uh, a future team. It seemed it's, there seemed to be a lovely. It wasn't stealing from something in the past so much as as, as kind of pre borrowing something. Uh, <laughs> and, I, and I just thought, given the time travel stories that we wanted to tell, that in itself would be quite a fun thing to do. Um, so the label fitted and 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 it worked and it was a, a thrill to do. And I remember it was late in our run on it that uh, that we were first very secretly told that it was actually under consideration to be one of the next wave of Marvel movies. And I was absolutely dumbfounded. I couldn't even begin to understand why of all the Marvel characters they were picking Guardians. Uh, and I'll be with him, you see the movie, which I, I, I think is fantastic. I think James Gunn did a brilliant job of it. I was able to go on set a couple of times and, and see it being filmed and meet the, meet the cast because it was happening down the road from me in, in the UK. Uh, and obviously got to go to the premiere and everything. And I, I just... It now makes so much sense that that's the best way to open up the Marvel Cinematic Universe is to add the cosmic to it and 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 and, and to and to and to and to take the <coughs> gamble of, of saying here are some characters you may not have heard of as a, a perhaps as a non comic reading audience but but let's see whether you like these as much which they clearly did um, but that's that was it's one of those things that made great sense in hindsight and to me I have enormous admiration for the. Uh, for the, the the people driving the Marvel Cinematic Universe forward, that they could have the foresight to go, that's worth trying. Uh, that's 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 that. If that pays off, that will be be really really good. I mean, at that point, uh, well, they've never they've never really had a dud film, but at that point, they had certainly not had a dud film, and so that was a big big step to take. And I, I'm delighted that it paid off enormously, and I'm I'm constantly amused by the fact that Rocket and Groot in particular are sort of, you know publicly recognized everywhere in the world like you know sort of just you know kids with backpacks rocket and group backpacks and lunchboxes and stuff like that because of course that's part of the pop culture and i was thinking yes it's only about even though there's characters that had existed for a long time for so much of their lives they have just been forgotten marvel also around characters and then to see them sort of just shoot into the into the fall like that was was, was fantastic goes to show how much can happen in 10 years yeah yeah 
Um, a, a question from um, one of the listeners. Well, actually, it was less of a question and more of a kudos, but uh, they, they want to say kudos on naming the bar on Nowhere Starlin's Bar. Uh, well, I, I think that's that has absolutely had to happen. Uh, <laughs> I, I absolutely adore Jim Starlin's work, uh, particularly his uh, his Warlock series, which was a you know something I read when I was younger. That formative cosmic reading, reading Marvel and reading Marvel cosmic particularly, just had such an impression. I wonder actually, one of the reasons he had such a great impression is is that I was reading in black and white reprint, as I said. And Stalin's work translates beautifully to black and white. His, his, his work there on, on Warlock particularly looked great in black and white, and therefore it had very, very vivid memories for me. Uh, and it was sort of felt like the, the, the least that we could do was to, to, to name-check him in the, in, the, uh, in the universe. What was behind the idea to, uh, in the Nova series, make the world mind almost be like another character? Because that was a huge part of that book, especially in the first year or so, that it was essentially, you know, the co-lead of the book was the world mind. How did you come up with the concept of kind of making that um, such a viable character and then kind of pushing that forward and, and again, making that, you know, a character in and of itself? Because it really reads well as a, as a buddy book between this disembodied voice that we never even see. Yeah, I think um, I don't. I don't think that was, as it were, a conscious decision. I don't think there was any any element of sitting down and planning. How can we do this? What can we do? It was. It's just something. It's one of those ideas that hits, and you go, "Oh, that would work really well." The, one of the problems with a, a a solo hero book is often that that, that that in order to communicate their own narrative, of course, they've got to either talk to themselves, which Spider Man does very effectively, or you've got to have. Um, some some really nicely crafted internal monologue narrative like Daredevil, for instance, uh, or you've got to be clunky and, and go back to thought bubbles, or even whatever. You know, the, 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 it, it, there is a there is a potential danger in any solo hero book that it can become very silent and, and focused. A, a great solo hero book, I think, always works when he's got a support a great supporting cast to bounce off in a really interesting way. He he or, he or she. Uh, if they've got they've got people to resonate with, then, then it works much better. And to have that primary source of interaction in his own head, uh, sort of nagging him, uh, and also as a, as an incredibly useful sense of immediate expositional delivery uh, that the world mind, by knowing everything, could tell him stuff really quickly and simply, which made the storytelling much much faster. Um, just just worked. Really well. I, I think it would be like you know, sort of Batman having Alfred in his head all the time, really. Um, and there was the, the the I guess the emotional ramifications of that that they actually develop a friendship and a bond. And although the world mind is essentially emotionless, you, clearly he cares and there is a connection. Was something that really grew out just out of the writing of it. What uh, what made you decide to take Nova off the table with an uh, with an apparent off screen death? off-screen death uh, which he shared actually with Star-Lord oddly enough uh, was meant to be a real Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid moment of going out in a blaze of glory with a question mark uh, so that freeze frame moment at the end of Butch and Sundance um, because that was the last story we told in the Marvel Cosmic at that point the, the, the film by then was underway and was about to be launched and essentially the decision was made that we had done We'd done enough damage, and it was time for us to step aside. And and the, the, the Guardians of the Galaxy would be, and Nova, indeed, would be relaunched, and they'd be given to you know proper writers. 
proper A-list writers. Uh, and um, and so we, Thanos Imperative was the, the our sort of last hurrah. It was it was our big end piece, set piece, and we wanted to do it as a as a spectacular miniseries and, and to end it in a in a really clear way. And and I, I believe that part of the instruction was to sort of clear the table so that certain characters could be brought back, but brought back fresh without having to be tied into. <coughs> Pick, pick them up where they've been left or anything like that. So, so Nova in particular was, we I think we I think we were actually asked if we would kill them off, kill him off, and we we didn't want to, but we we were agreed to sort of stage a uh, you know a big question mark off screen death for him, uh, and then obviously the books were were subsequently relaunched um, in very capable hands, but but relaunched uh, uh, once we departed. Now, when you guys worked on the Annihilators miniseries, or I guess two, I think there was two miniseries, um, what was it like kind of writing those books? Because it was almost like you went from using the, the smaller characters to suddenly using the big guys. Yeah, and that, was, that was sort of part of a strategy that we've been trying to pursue that sort of didn't end up working. Because having done a solo book uh, with Nova, and then the sort of misfit ragtag team book with Guardians, our idea all along would be that the third part of that cosmic range would be a top tier Avengers space Avengers cosmic Avengers type book where you'd get the really big guns and so that so that the three books would offer you a very different range of story types uh, and everything and annihilators which was originally going to be called cosmic Avengers and at the last minute Marvel decided they wouldn't let us do that because there were too many Avengers books not apparently a problem they've had at other points in there <laughs> but, but that, that was that we were told that they couldn't be called that and so we called them annihilators obviously after annihilation uh, and and I think it would have worked better as an ongoing um, by being forced into the type of story that a limited series needs to tell, uh, which is very much sort of movie. There wasn't as much space for the kind of character interaction I would want to do there. I'd like to have had character interaction between the Annihilators in the same way that we got in the Guardians ongoing book. And therefore that was often curtailed or was cut in favour of just getting getting the story to fit in the space. Um, I think the Annihilators appear best in Thanos Imperative. Actually, I think that's their best outing. Um, so it was it was fun, and again, it's like one of those things as I've mentioned before, where where in my head it could have been so much more, and and circumstance didn't didn't really allow for it, and they didn't translate quite as well as I hoped onto the into the book. I think it's still it's still perfectly readable and and quite entertaining in places. I hope, uh, um, but it's it could have it, it could have been. Another sideways step from Guardians in the way that Guardians was from 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 Nova, if 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 the things that remained the way they were. Okay. Um, now th- this is another listener question. What were the reasons for bringing about the demise of both Warlock and Quasar slash Martyr? And um, I guess you kind of maybe alluded to this before, but what what kind of brought their deaths about? Uh, that that again was was very much the 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 the, the house cleaning. Of, of Marvel wanting to, to, to either put things away or to, to take them off the table or to, to resolve what was happening so that it could be restarted in a new way. Uh, I think that's the that's the probably the simplest and cleanest answer I can give to that. <laughs> now, it's interesting. At about the same time, so you guys clean the decks, you, you walk away from the cosmic universe, and then you're working on Heroes for Hire and New Mutants, which is very much grounded. Yes. Um, what was it like to kind of make such a big switch? Because again, you, you were, at that point, you'd been in the cosmic universe for a few years. 
it, it was actually very, very refreshing indeed. The Heroes for Hire uh, uh, was was a really fun book. I, I love the, the the central concept of that. That was a book that where where the there were a couple of crossovers, particularly um, uh, Spider whatever it was, Spider Spider Island. Thank you. Yeah, which which just dropped like a unwelcome rock into the middle of the story that we were trying to tell. <laughs> uh, there, there have been occasions where crossovers have worked really, really well. I'm incredibly proud of the Secret Invasion crossover in Guardians, mm. where it was still a Guardian story, it just happened to be a Secret Invasion. It worked really, really well, and, and no, but nothing got compromised because the ongoing character development was there, and yet it was still a completely viable crossover. But Spider Island and things just, just sort of skewed Heroes for Hire off its axis too much, I feel. The, 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 there is there are some fairly good runs there. I think the the, the, the you know the setup, the concept, uh, the the big twists and revelations that we were able to pull off in that were, were great fun. It was really good to bring all sorts of guest stars into it and have fun with them. Um, I think it probably wasn't. It was weird. I don't think it was as kind of invested in by Marvel as it might have been. I don't mean financially. I meant in terms of in terms of seeing it as a, as a one of the one of the core street-level Marvel books. Um, but neither was it left alone in the way that Guardians had been, where, where nobody cared what happened. It was just like telling good stories. So it was, there was a lot of external fiddling, yet not a lot of internal support. So so we did the best job we could. And I think the best issues of it stand up really, really well. And um, New Mutants, it was just great to work on an, on an X book, essentially, and one that I'd loved from the Sinkovich days. And uh, I think uh, that was... That one, I think the quality there varied in terms of of sometimes it was the artists. Not that we had bad artists, but some artists just really suited it. David LaFuenta just did superb stuff, and some of the best issues, I think, are the one shot standalone issues, the girls' night out, and the the, the the first date issues really sort of resonated really, really well. And some of the longer storylines sort of maybe bogged down a little bit. It was it was a great fun thing to work on. Um, uh, and and uh, yeah, I enjoyed that very much indeed. Um, the the, um, the there was a lot, I think I suppose there was quite a lot of experimenting going on in New, New Mutants to see what would work with them and what wouldn't. Um, so I think that's uh, there was a, there was a, 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 a good fun thing to do. Well, how did you decide on using Misty Knight as kind of your focal point character in Heroes for Hire? Uh, she made to I don't, I don't know I, again I don't think there was a conscience, conscious choice we looked at the characters associated with Heroes for Hire and it wasn't even a case of being politically correct and going for the, the, the playing the diversity card either it's just she made so much sense as being the central character and she's a great character so so it, 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 as a focal point she she just just worked for me and and so we ran with that um, now with what was that like? Because I guess you did the Villains for Hire book right afterwards, right? Yeah. Now, was that just kind of a way of extending the story, or it was, it was an interesting concept? Kind of a, a lot of double crosses in that book. It was, yeah. I, I think if I if I remember correctly, Villains for Hire would have been a story arc in Heroes for Hire if the book had carried on. We were gonna we were gonna kind of subvert the title and 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 do that with it, and because. The book had flagged that they decided to take that storyline and just do it as a as, as its own entity. Uh, but of course, story threads carried on right the way through it. Um, it was it was fun, and I liked playing around with the the 
the villains. I seem to remember we were frustrated several times because there were villains that we wanted to use that we couldn't because they were in use elsewhere, and we had to sort of go for the sort of if wet option. Um, <laughs> but uh, it works. It worked, uh, and I think it's. I think it's sort of. Uh, it sort of sustained itself through its uh, through its run. Um, it's I, I, what I, I suppose. It's a shame that I didn't get to come back and do perhaps another Heroes for Hire miniseries afterwards to bookend it. That mm. would have been. Not, I don't mean necessarily ongoing, but a, you know, a miniseries or something, just to sort of come back and say, right, okay, we've, we 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 inverted everything for for a few issues. Now we've put it back on its feet again, and and, and this is how we play out that, at the end of that. Not because there was necessarily more story that had to be told, but I think it would, to balance it out, it would have, it would have worked quite nicely. What uh, no? I'm, there's an interesting thorough line with a bunch of your uh, more recent projects is that you seem to like working with Brad Walker a lot. Yes. What's the collaboration like with Brad? Uh, fabulous. Uh, Brad was an artist who was introduced to, to me by the uh, the Guardian's editor. I hadn't met, met him or spoken to him or worked with him before, uh, but uh, we got on well. I think his Guardian's issues are fantastic. Um, we had great artists on Guardian's, to be fair. Paul Pelletier as well, just superb. Where's Craig? They were great artwork. Um, and Brad was fantastic to work with. He's so enthusiastic. He seemed to get... get what was going on really, really well, uh, and translated superbly, and uh, and and so working with him again has never been a, a hardship. Sort of the opportunity to has, has been brilliant. Of course, he's he's essentially the primary artist on Aquaman, which I'm writing now, and uh, and immediately we've fallen back into our routine of sending each other emails, and, and you know he'll ask a specific question, and it'll always be a really smart question about something I put in a script. He says, "When you say this, do you mean this?" And and, and he, he looks for clarification, and we can I uh, can give him lots of lots of information that other artists perhaps might go, oh gosh, you've given me too much, I don't know what to do with it. And he goes, that's exactly what I needed. And he, he, he delivers brilliantly. Now let's talk about Aquaman. So you're writing the book now and also re- uh, writing it during Rebirth, correct? Yes, that so is correct. Are you approaching it differently? Uh, you mean the Rebirth version? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, when I came, I came on board on issue 40. Ooh, let me think. Eight, forty-nine, forty-nine of Aquaman, mm-hmm. and, I, and it's been it's 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 been a great run in the New Fifty Two, and and Jeff Johns's work has I think his 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 stuff on Aquaman has been fantastic. So I really wanted to, seeing as people like that a lot, I wanted to try and emulate that. I wanted to keep that tone and and and, and, and content similar. Obviously in my own voice but, but to, 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 to try and keep it that kind of book so very much in the in the last few issues of the new 52 run that's that's what I'm, I'm, I'm aiming for but I'm already putting in the building blocks for what I want to do afterwards and I think with Aquaman it's, it's, it's a case of the book isn't really broken it doesn't need to be fixed or reinvented or revamped it will have a fresh start and it will have a freshness to its look and everything like that but it's it's not going through some hideous overhaul really it's, it is it is a progressive thing with 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 the, the building blocks that that indeed Jeff have been putting in place from from issue one. Uh, things that I've added in, in 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 those last three or four issues, uh, and then and then rebirth is really just a great jumping on point. It's a it's a wonderful opportunity to 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 have to have the door open for you and and, and everything reintroduced and 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 so so readers who regular readers. We'll just—it'll just be the next issue, as far as they're concerned. Hopefully, they'll get excited by it. But it, it, it's like here, here we go. We're carrying on. We're not—we're not spoiling everything. We're not throwing everything away. Uh, but it's a great chance for new readers to, to, to join in and be, be drawn into it. How did you end up writing Titans Hunt? I was asked to. Actually, that was 
very nice indeed I got a call funnily enough it was Eddie Baganza who I hadn't worked with for a long time but had been my first, one of my first editors at DC uh, came to me and said said we kind of need a book to take the Teen Titans and do these kind of things with it what do you think how is it possible and I gave him a story which which was uh, character driven and was very horror orientated it's very much a sort of supernatural story and it's it's, it's not a, I suppose a conventional superhero story except for the fact that it revels in and revisits and name checks the, the, the illustrious history of the Teen Titans and um, that's that's proved to be you know, a great thing to work on. It's, it's, people have really seem to love it, and it's, it's sort of given an opportunity to, 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 to uh, what's the verb I'm looking for? The, the, the rebirth, obviously, is, is the now Titans, which will, 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 will come out of that. But it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, I've really enjoyed it. I like the slightly different storytelling pace, the fact that it was more like a serialised novel. Uh, mm. With a lot of, let's say, a lot of character interaction, a lot of um, mysteries, and a lot of, a lot of incre- an incredible amount, more than usual amount of, of visual details. There are right from page one of issue one. There are all sorts of clues in the images that will pay off later and be picked up on later. So, so it was, it was, it was sort of using using that kind of, I guess, I guess, television vocabulary of. of of, of putting things in front of the, the, the viewer and, 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 and not commenting on them, but, but then coming back to them and hoping that they've remembered them. <laughs> what, um, what can you tease about, you know, what we're going to see in Rebirth? I mean, obviously it's also kind of got to wait till Titan's End is done before, yes. before we can really know, but anything you can kind of tease about it? Uh, is there anything I can tease about it? Um, you can also say no. I probably will have to say no because I think DC are being very, very circumspect about it. I think it's uh, it is still going to be very character driven, very, very character driven. It's about the relationships of these people. It's about people who are friends and want to be together, and they happen to be superheroes to save the world. So it's going to have that content to it. I think if you've read, been reading Titans, in which case, well done you, thank you. Uh, you will be delighted where, where where the book goes to. Uh, I think it will have a sort of vigor and a vibrancy and a sort of it's not light-hearted at all, but it, I, I seek to slightly cap, recapture the the, the, the the crazy and fun feeling of the early Teen Titans, whilst catching it very much in a in a modern sensibility. So I hope it I hope it I hope it contains that. Um, it is very much part of the rebirth event as Jeff Johnson's mastermind did. He and I have spoken at length about it. He's been brilliant about giving his insights of the way the Titans work and indeed the way the Titans historically have not worked at different points in their life and um, uh, there are big things in it that are, are, are bigger as it were than the, than the title itself they have a, they have a greater um, uh, what's the word uh, ramification for the for the DCU and rebirth more than that I probably will in fact I'm expecting my phone to ring at any moment now because if Warhammer Games Workshop people were monitoring my conversation earlier <laughs> on DC definitely is <laughs> uh, well, then before we have to let you go, then I, I, I can't not talk to you about Hercules. Um, yes. I picked up the first issue. I wasn't really sure what to expect from a Hercules book, and it absolutely floored me. Um, the, your writing is amazing on it. Uh, Luke Ross is really killing it on art. Um, it's just been such a great book. So I'm, I'm shouting to as many people as I can to pick that up because um, it's really, really, really well done. Your your take on Hercules is very modern. Um, the way uh, Luke draws him, especially like I, the man bun, I don't know why that works. 
but honestly, like it, it, it's a great visual. Um, the way you know you've written um, Hercules and uh, Gilgamesh, I thought as this weird you know roommates is fantastic. Um, what, how did you come to write this book? Uh, that was a case of me pitching an idea. I was I was writing. I was working on the um, the Secret Wars crossover. The um, uh, the Guardians 3000 thing which was the Korvac saga mm. and uh, in, in that I, it featured the team of Avengers because it was pulling on the on the, on the the imagery of the original Korvac saga I wanted to show the Avengers who appear in it to be uh, as much as possible the Avengers of that period of the original story uh, of whom Hercules is one and I'd never given Hercules very much thought at all to be perfectly fair he was not a favourite Marvel character of mine uh, I didn't dislike him but I, I, I never sat there with a burning desire to write Hercules in the same way that I might sit there thinking God I really want to write a Thor story I really want to write Daredevil or whatever it, Hercules was just you know he's one of the people in the Marvel Universe that you might meet if you were in the Marvel Universe um, and I think the, the most recent run prior to mine where Greg Pak's run uh, was incredibly entertaining because it was it was it was very funny. It was it was played in to, for you know for 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 excitement, adventure, and laughs, and I think it worked very, very, very well indeed. Uh, writing Hercules, even though he had a very small role in the Korvac saga, uh, I thought, oh, actually, he's potentially really interesting, and and I had this idea about him to say, what happens if we take him seriously for a change? He's always been a comedy character or a semi-comedic character or light relief or the big buffoon who makes the, you know, it's only in his very early days that he was even remotely serious. He's always been on the funnier side of what Marvel produces in terms of his character. He has not got the gravitas as a Thor. And I thought, but he should have. He absolutely should have. He's Hercules, we're going to say. And I just talked to my editor, Katie Kubert, and I said, what if we did a story about him... uh, trying to be the hero he used to be, realising that he's a laughing stock, realising that he's been coasting on his reputation forever and that no one takes him seriously and that he's a bit of a liability in a loose cannon. But actually, he's great. And he suddenly realised that after however many years he's been around in the Marvel Universe, it's about time he reminded people that he was kind of the first superhero and they should take him seriously and he's got these great talents. So that was the premise. And I said, and make him, despite his power levels, make him a street level hero. Put him, place him in the real world, in a real environment, in a, you know, a sort of the sort of environment you'd normally see Daredevil or Spider-Man and see what happens. So to actually deliberately change the way he was handled from the, from the way that Greg and everybody were handling him, not because there was anything wrong with that, but just to see what it was like if you did it differently. And she loved the idea, and it was greenlit immediately, and 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 that's what we did. I mean, and, and I love writing it, and I've been delighted by the the, the response, your response indeed, is is very gratefully received and typical of of the sort of things I'm getting. Is that is that it, it, that sort of odd blend of real world and myth. Um, Works seems, seems to work really, really well. That he's actually a very sympathetic character, even though the book can be funny. It's natural humour based on circumstance rather than a comedy book. His relationship with Gilgamesh and with and with the other characters around him, Sophia and all the other characters around him, in that very sort of domestic, real environment, makes to me, to, to me anyway, it makes the fantastical elements all the more extraordinary. Whether it's him encountering a monster in the street, it's more fantastical than if it had been happening in Asgard. Um, and and just the idea of Hercules eating pizza on his couch, talking to Gilgamesh, and having a conversation about Beowulf, that seems to me to be much more thrillingly mythological because it's happening now than it would be if they were sprawled on a couch in Olympus eating grapes and, and, and 
listening to harps, you know, lyres, not harps. Um, and uh, so, so that was the feel I wanted to give it. I almost wanted to go feel, I suppose, like what happens if I was writing Hercules as a Netflix series, hmm. and that it would have, you know, how how would you do it? How would you do it in a in an affordable way? And what would you do to to make it work? And and, and how how interesting could you make it in, in those circumstances? And I find it very very compelling. I think there is an enormous amount more uh, emotion and resonance in in his reflections on the mythological world and its departure and it's, it's dying away and its decay and the glories of the past and his own reputation, all those kind of things, when he's sitting in an Astoria walk-up rather than if he'd been somewhere, you know, even in Avengers Mansion, it wouldn't have had quite the same um, feel. What can you tease about what's upcoming for Hercules? Hercules will be playing a part in Civil War Two. Uh, and uh, the kind of ingredients that I've been using so far, which is to, is that kind of forlorn, melancholy, wistful look back on the, the, the you know dying legends and, and and those few survivors like him and Gilgamesh will be really, really fundamental. The uh, the, the in Hercules in, in Civil War, Hercules will be uh, uh, presented as a, a, a miniseries which follows on directly from the issues that have gone before, but it's, it's called Gods of War, that's the subtitle. And uh, Katie and I joked that it was essentially Hercules and Marvel Universe's answer to uh, the Expendables, in as much as Hercules recruits as many of the old heroes like Gilgamesh that he can find in order to form a, a kind of elite but very veteran strike force that will do a particular thing in the course of this story. And that's great because it, it means that I can bring in several existing Marvel characters that are Marvel versions of mythological characters, but also create Marvel versions of other uh, mythological characters that we haven't really seen before. And the, to me, the, del- the, the, the pleasure in writing it, certainly, and I hope the pleasure in reading it, is, is not so much the action of which there is plenty, but it's the character interaction. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the voices of Tiresias and Gilgamesh and, um, uh, Sophia and Hercules and the other characters as they bounce off each other, uh, which is is really good fun. I feel I feel like I know who these people are. So that's actually the the sort of conversations that I'm scripting scenes. I sort of don't have to grope for the next line because I know who's going to say it and what they're likely to say and how they're going to banter and bicker with each other. So I'm I'm enjoying that very much. I think I think if you've enjoyed Hercules up to now, you're going to love it. Excellent. It definitely sounds like uh, you almost seem surprised by how much you're enjoying writing Hercules. I guess so. Yeah, I, I think I think I think it because it came as a uh, <clears throat> just such a sudden inspiration that that that, that Hercules would, had untapped potential uh, that was worth trying for a change. And once I'd had that idea of how to handle him, I was just so excited about that idea. And maybe that's coming through in the pages as well. Absolutely. Uh, any final thoughts before we sign off today? Um, besides, any, pick, besides pick up Aquaman, pick up Titans. Uh, I would, I would shout, uh, give a shout out to Earth Two, which is the other DC book I'm writing, which is um, uh, obviously the the parallel Earth with different versions of, of the DC heroes. I'm enjoying that enormously, and because it's not Earth One, it's not Prime Earth. I'm I'm being able to, I guess, pull a slightly Guardians of the Galaxy trick by doing really big things. Uh, to those toys without without getting DC editorial screaming at me, uh, so that's actually quite a, quite an entertaining read. Uh, I took that over in issue nine, and uh, and uh, really worked a lot of 
put a lot of effort into into kind of remaking it so so the engine ticks over smoothly and it's it's firing all cylinders. And I, I'm I'm really pleased with that as well. It's obviously not as high profile as Aquaman and Titans, but it's I, I, you know if you like what I do, then I think that's a a, a book that you may want to may want to look at. And the other thing is, in terms of solo projects, uh, Ian Culbard and I have just finished publishing the second volume of our series, Wild's End, for Boom, uh, which is a very strange thing, but there, it, 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 the second trade is about to come out, the first one is already out there. Again, if you like what I do, and I'm sure there are a few people out there who do, uh, and you haven't ever read Wild's End, please go and read it. It's probably the thing I'm most proud of of anything. Wow. And the 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 comparatively few number of people who do read it love it. It's it, it is. I just get constant. I mean, it, it, the, the, the 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 positive reviews and the feedback is extraordinary. I wish it had a bigger audience. I really wish it had a bigger audience. So so, I, you know, please do go and check it out if you haven't read it already. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. It's been an absolute pleasure. I haven't rambled too much. Oh, not at all. I think our listeners are uh, going to enjoy every minute of this. Fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks a lot.